Before we get into the episode, we want to let you know we are gathering another Attaching to God learning cohort. In it, you will escape your anxious jungles and avoiding deserts of faith and grow into secure attachment with God and with others. This is a one-of-a-kind six-week cohort combining recorded teachings and live cohort calls. So you can get all the details at embodiedfaith.life slash learning dash cohorts or see the show notes for details after the description. What's grace got to do with the brain? What does theology have to do with neurology? Well, actually a lot. And this is the Being With podcast where we're exploring the intersection of neuroscience and faith, where we're seeking to be with ourselves, with one another, and with God. My name is Jeff Holzklaw and being with is produced by Grassroots Christianity, which is seeking to grow faith for everyday people. Grace and attachment to God, and not just attachment to God, but attachment to others and how a good attachment to God can stave off fear and the three, the four P's of addiction, which we're going to get to in a second. But again, we are uh, blessed to have Ed Curry uh, join us as a guest today. He is the president and co-founder of Equipping Hearts for the Harvest, a ministry empowering leaders, missionaries, and churches to serve locally and globally. And he does a lot of things integrating neuroscience, faith, and emotions. Ed, it's so great to have you back on the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be back with you. Yes. Well, we want to talk about grace. Now, in a lot of other conversations that I've had on a different podcast, uh, the God With Us podcast that I host with my wife, as well as with Jim Wilder and others, we talk about joy and how joy is essentially a relational term and how we need to kind of gear up and press into these emotions and understand our relationship with God on an emotional level. And you've been doing that work um, for a long time and you've worked with Jim Wilder and others, but you have pressed into this area of grace. What could <laughs> grace have to do with all this neuroscience, the interpersonal neurobiology and these types of things? So that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm really excited. If For those of you who are listening live, if you have questions, please shoot them out in the comments. Uh, we have, we're pulling from Facebook and YouTube and you can throw all those things up. But I'm going to throw it to you, Ed. How do people typically view this idea of grace? You know, we're saved by grace, by grace alone, <laughs> these types of things. And then let's shift to maybe a different understanding that you think is more, might we say, more biblical even. Um, if you ask most Christians, what is grace, you will get the response, well, it's God's unmerited favor. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't do anything to deserve it, and he just gave it to me. And that's true. Um, but the problem with that definition is if you ask people what unmerited favor is, they'll tell you, well, that's just grace. <laughs> and uh, circular definitions don't play well <laughs> if you're trying to write papers of any kind in school. Um, teachers generally frowned on those. So I started to, um, you know, working from a, um, the background with Jim of joy and brain science, I was challenged by my church to create a, um, a small group program that did not rely on brain science or joy as a singular emotion, 
So given that um, grace and joy are two forms of the same Greek word, I started to um, learn what I could about grace. And I found an incredible book by a guy named Barclay. Um, His book is called Paul and the Gift. And what's fascinating about this is he goes back to ancient Greece to describe what grace meant in the original language. Um, Grace was not just a term Paul pulled out of thin air or invented for New Testament writing. He borrowed a Greek word. Now, here's what's cool about that. In ancient Greece, um, Jeff, if you wanted to have a relationship with me, you would send somebody to my house with a gift, and you'd knock on my door, and when I would answer the door, whoever you sent would hand me this gift and say, Jeff would like you to have this gift. What that meant is you were inviting me. The gift was your invitation um, for me to engage in an ongoing, long-term relationship with you. Grace um, became about that gift um, because for some reason you saw me as um, someone that was special you wanted a relationship with. I had favor with you for some some reason. So from its beginnings, grace was a relational term. It meant you're special and favorite. Here's this gift. I want a connection with you that endures and lasts. And it's reciprocal. It's not just I take the gift and figure, well, that gift will get me through the rest of life. The understanding is no. Um the gift means that you are special and favorite. And in receiving it, we're going to have a relationship together that lasts. So grace is an outrageously relational term. It has everything to do with relationships. It connects with joy because being special and favorite um, means that you're glad to be with me. (laughs) And that sets off an entire um, train load of neurochemical reactions in my brain involving dopamine. Um, Me being special and favorite to you, um, especially when you see me face-to-face, it triggers a release of a massive amount of dopamine when I can see that you're glad to be with me. And um, that in um, milliseconds is um, tickling the reward pleasure center of my brain. And it's saying, boy, this relationship with Jeff was good. Um, It's good being special and favorite to Jeff. And when you see my response to that, your brain responds with dopamine and you smile a bigger grace smile, which causes me to do the same thing. And we're having a dopamine party that's all (laughs) grace-based because we're special and favorite to each other. Yeah. Amen. And th- that's the the kind of relational word. And then you're bringing that into an embodied kind of sense of face-to-face <laughs> interactions. I want to, I want to get to that. So we're going to highlight that, but I want to get back to kind of this difference of grace as a relational term. Um, you know, I was raised, you know, with the Romans road for sharing uh, the gospel, you know, in Romans uh, six, eight, you know, the wages of sin of death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the parallel that I was given 
was that on the one side, you know, this is kind of like the the bridge illustration. On the one side, we have the things we earn mm-hmm. by working. Is we right. have earned the wages. Our salary of sin is now death that we have earned. And this is really very much of an economic kind of metaphor is that there's this transaction uh, that I am getting because of my sin. But then grace is thought to be the opposite of that, is instead of earning things, instead of an economy of working and rewards, rather you're just given something for free. You don't work for it. It's given as a gift. And in my mind, and I think in a lot of people's minds, uh, grace is just kind of that, um, it's reduced to that economic kind of mentality is like either you earn something or you get something for free. Right. Now that that's not a wrong way of viewing. So that's not all wrong when it comes to grace. No, it's, it's, just just trying, it's just limited. It's too small. And so what I see for you is when we, when we think of grace, just in that sense of like, it's something that I've been given for free or um, as unmerited favor, although favor does get a little closer to the relationship, but it's something that I've been given for free. Uh, it doesn't necessarily drive us toward relationship with God. And it doesn't necessarily indicate that God is really driven and propelled in relationship to us. But what you, what I hear you saying is that grace actually is that. It is a relational term. Is that the, the thing that is given for free, and certainly the freeness of it is part of it, but it's really the giving of the whole self. Is The, the gift that I give, I'm actually giving my whole self as an advanced token of a whole relationship that I'm trying to pursue and that God wants to establish with us. And mm-hmm. then all of those things that grace means. Is that, is that a restatement? Am I getting closer? Yes, you're, you're getting it. Yeah, it's entirely relational. Um, the, th- the problem with the economic view of it is you kind of receive it or you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing with the relationship is you're so special and favorite. Um, I want a relationship with you. Um, now, if you receive that gift, that means I'm going to pursue you <laughs> because we have this covenant. We have this agreement, um, and it's it's all about me being special and favorite because mm-hmm. God just sees every single one of us that way. So let's talk about that special and favorite thing, and you were bringing up a face. Um, now, the neuroscience of attachment and childhood development has shown that, you know, the original facial recognition software is the baby's brain mm-hmm. is that um, early on they attach through smell and through touch and through sound. But very quickly, the whole brain switches to visual and to mm-hmm. and can rapidly identify, uh, especially the primary caretakers faces, but really all human faces, uh, babies can distinguish a human face and it knows when a human face is glad to see it, yes. it reciprocates uh, rapidly. And so you were kind of, you were talking about that, that rapid reciprocal, mutually kind of ramping up of <laughs> uh, faces. And you were talking about dopamine and, and those types of things. And so really uh, the face really is important. So I kind of threw a lot yeah. of stuff out there, but why don't you fill that out? Why, why have you been working on this idea of being the face of grace why is that something God does for us? And why is it that we should be doing that for other people? What is Why emphasize actual faces, especially in the COVID era when mm-hmm. we've been wearing masks? Yeah. Why is the face so important? Um, we're wired neurologically to look for faces. Babies are born that way. Now, when they're first born, smell, taste, um, touch are, are the primary ways that they bond. 
And that's usually with the person that feeds them. But uh, somewhere um, within a couple months, their visual cortex comes online. And once that happens, that is the dominant way that you and I bond for the rest of our lives. Now, we're wired to pick up those little micro changes in faces that say, um, you're special and favorite and glad to be with me, or you're not. Um, So either someone's really glad to be with you um, and your face picks it up or they're communicating like you're not quite special and favorite. Um, I'm busy. You're a nuisance. um, I'm distracted. I don't have time um, or I don't like you very much, but the face picks those up. And I think if grace is real, um, then it will show on our face because you can't experience um, God's grace, really understanding how special and favorite we are without simultaneously beginning to discover, well, God sees other people that way too. Then there's something about um, them that um, my face should light up when I see them because we've never met a person that God doesn't see as special and favorite. Now, that doesn't mean everybody does things that indicate they're special and favorite. That's one of the mysteries of God's grace. He just wants relationship with everyone. Amen. Amen. That's why I'm like zooming in on the faces so we get this. <laughs> so let's talk about the the face of God. And we're going to get to some practices of scripture. But um, I was, since I've learned about this, you know, faces, neuroscience, and these types of things. It just, it lightens up scripture. And, you know, about a year ago, uh, the song, The Blessing came out, <laughs> which was based on uh, the blessing that Aaron was supposed to give over the people. And I was just struck that in four verses, God's face is mentioned twice. It, you know, may the Lord bless you. Uh, may his face shine upon you. And may he turn his face toward you. Mm-hmm. in grace and favor. And this idea that, you know, God's face shining upon his people, when you read that through attachment and through neuroscience, you say, yes, that is like God's delightful beaming, uh, the light, you know, the the unmerited favor or the, the excitement to be with, like he is just shining that on his people. And that's what the blessing <laughs> is. And that just, I, I feel like that is so profound that God promises and he energizes his people by turning his face to, to shine upon them. <laughs> Have you been thinking about those types of things or what are other areas in scripture about this idea of face and God's face or just theology that you, that you feel have just come alive for you? Um, that idea of face for sure is, but that also opens a whole theological can of worms that I usually don't like to dive into unless I'm, <laughs> unless I'm going fishing. <laughs> um, can we see God's face? Yes, we can. Um, if In the you, light of um, Christ. Yes, you can. And I think one of the ways God shines his face on it, on us is as we meditate on scripture with him. Mm. Um, I teach people to read passages of Scripture slowly and be asking God, is there something in here you want to talk with me about? Um, Where's your heart in this? And it is just amazing when God starts um, revealing himself to us um, 
through scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also amazing to me that um, God's face and faces of other people that see us like God does lead to the development of the strongest attachments, strongest secure attachments we can have. Mm-hmm. Um, and secure attachment is, um, you know, it changes over time. People that study attachment theory initially thought, well, once you got one style there, you were done. Um, you had that forever. Mm-hmm. But there were anomalies, and they realized there's some people that actually changed from a non-secure attachment style to a secure one. And the, the common denominator in all that was being with someone who had some maturity that was really glad to be with them. Mm-hmm. It changed everything. And the cool thing about Jesus is he said, if you're loving me, meaning if you're really attaching to me, um, you will have a tendency to do the things that I'm doing, <laughs> which is just mind-blowing if you yeah. think about that in ter- of, as a function behavior um, f- um, flowing out of an attachment with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The um, Well, I want to get back to the this idea of the scripture practices, and you also talk about stories of grace, but you brought up the attachment and the earned secure attachment that we can develop mm-hmm. uh, as adults uh, if we don't receive that as children. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what happens, and I'm leading you into this conversation of fear, but what happens when we don't have that secure or that earned secure attachment? You talk about uh, how fear develops, and then you also have these the, the four Ps uh-huh. that lead to addiction, and it has nothing to do with your vegetables. Right. So can you fill out uh, when we don't have this, when we don't, yeah. when we live a life outside of grace, outside mm-hmm. of that secure attachment, what is prone to happen to us? Um, outside, the, the brain is designed to need constant high doses of um, good, um, good, strong um, doses of special and favorite. And I apologize for that. My computer has decided to start notifying me of things. Oh, that's um, right. We didn't hear it. We're good. Okay. <laughs> well, it's persisting. Um, it's uh, the, what happens when grace or f- grace is missing or absent. Um, the, it's not able to attach to God and other people securely. When it can't do that, it tends to develop one of um, its uh, three non-secure attachment styles. One is dismissive, which deals with people by keeping them at arm's distance. The other one is distracted, which kind of um, is the exact opposite. I'm running into relationships constantly out of an unhealthy place of trying to get my own needs met. The last one is disorganized attachment, which is when attachment people are both a mix of um, pleasure and fear. Mm -hmm. In all cases, when grace is absent or missing, instead of developing a secure foundation of grace-based attachment, my brain defaults to fear because fear is my brain's default setting. Grace is what changes that default setting. And when um, as an infant, I'm not getting special and favorite consistently um, or in high grace environments. 
Um, my brain functions in fear, and it turns to what I call the four deadly Ps. One of the four deadly Ps are combinations of all of them. The mm -hmm. first one is pleasing. Well, I need to know that I'm special and favorite. Maybe if I please mom or dad or whoever, they'll treat me like I'm special and favorite. Mm -hmm. um, maybe if I just don't annoy them and please them that way. The other is performing. Let me figure out what mom and dad want me to do the most, and I'll do that. The next one is pleasure. Um, pleasure can really um, provide an artificial source of this feels good um, when I'm not feeling special and favored. And honestly, as infants, um, we're designed to bond to the people that feed us the most. Um, if the people feeding us really are not um, viewing us as particularly special and favorite, we can't see it on their face, we will bond to the pleasure associated with the food instead of people. Um, the, uh, the last P is the avoidance of pain. Like, what do I have to do to just not feel so bad um, about um, not being special and favorite? So the four deadly Ps are deadly because they lead directly to addictions or what I call BEEPs. And um, BEEPs stand for the behaviors, events, experiences, people, or substances that take the place for genuine grace-based connections with God and others based on being special and favorite. So the absence of grace um, received is not a little thing. It is a huge thing. And it has everything to do with the development of fear-based bonds, non-secure attachments, and insecure identity that's weak and unstable. And the development of at least one, but probably some form of most of the four deadly Ps, and addictions. Mm. This is deadly. Yeah, thanks for that. And I just see that in these four Ps, the, the pleasing and the performance and the pain and the pleasure, we're really um, substituting a graceful uh, relationship with something that is either a relationship that's not filled by grace or we're substituting objects or the mm -hmm. avoidance of objects. And so in pleasing people, we really, you know, that's kind of the doormat, you know, syndrome where we are trying, we are trying to earn you know, the relationship by, uh, in a sense, doing the primordial freezing. I will just freeze myself and mm -hmm. adapt and just do what you want mm -hmm. uh, so that um, the relationship, as best as I can tell, uh, will be maintained. Um, and, and we're acting out of fear mm -hmm. because we don't have a fullness of grace. And then in performing, that's kind of like uh, if pleasing is the low energy version, then performing is the high energy version of <laughs> trying to gain those relationships. But the, I really like the way you talked about pleasure is that um, it's, it's substituting an object for a relationship. So we're, we're confusing because of the lack of grace. We're confusing how to, uh, we're confusing the person um, <laughs> and we're substituting it for an object, whether that's, you know, food or <laughs> sex or drugs or um, money and wealth and these types <laughs> of things uh, or collecting experiences we're really substituting, and, and those things after a while become our relationship, such that we can't even function 
in healthy relationships because we're just like going after the right. pleasure. And then the opposite of that would be the pain is we're avoiding anything that is painful. Um, and I'm sure those P's can kind of work together. So people who are they avoiding do. pain can often be people pleasers, you know, things like that. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so I just kind of, you know, jumped off all that. Do you want to fill out any of those P's at all? I know. Uh, or, or do you want to get to the, the, the practices, the exercises? Well, the thing about the P's that's important is those are usually in place. Um, they will always be in place when grace is weak or absent or just, you know, not consistent. Um, and especially if it's not to the degree that we need it. And we're talking from infancy. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the seeds of addictions being planted before we're even talking. Right. right. Um, and those, those seeds um, sprout. <laughs> In fear-based environments, those things sprout, and they eventually take on a life of their own. Mm-hmm. Um, they're substitutes. They're beeps, behaviors, events, experiences, people, or substances that take the place of um, genuine attachments right. that are grace-based. Well, Carrie asks, she's listening live right now. Uh, she says, you know, you call these the four uh, deadly peas." And she asks, is this because they keep us from becoming who God intended us to be? Is that the main point is not just that it keeps us from connecting with humans, but rather it keeps us from being who God wants us to be? Um, It's both. Yeah. Um, It's both. And they're deadly because they really kill. um, They make it harder for us to receive grace. Um because we think we have to do something to um, either earn it, please it, perform it, um, do something to feel good. Mm. Um, And they lead us to a lifestyle and an identity that is far short of what God has for us because identity grows from our attachments. Um, My understanding of who I am will be shaped by your special and favorite or you're not, and what do I have to do then to create an, an artificial sense of myself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, for sure. Well, someone else, and then I I, I want to get to the stories of grace as some of the practices, but uh, Charles, thanks for jumping in. He says, I've always thought of grace as being in, const, in a constant state of thanks to God. How does how does that idea of thanksgiving, which I know we talk a lot about, uh, how does how does that connect with this idea of grace being relational? I think grace uh, uh, um, appreciation is or gratitude is definitely a response to grace, but grace is much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm special and favorite, I'm going to find things to be grateful for, especially the person that's um, interacting with me that I'm feeling special and favorite for. But grace is much bigger than that. Grace is um, if you can think about all the different um, signs that somebody is experiencing relational grace, um, appreciation and gratitude is just one. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many others. So what are those other ones? So gratitude is kind of the outgrowth of feeling that. Uh, what are some of the other ones? Um, one can include the ability to be at peace. Okay. Um um, the word um, we've used in the book, Joy Starts Here, is shalom, mm-hmm. which is a deep sense of abiding in um, in rest. 
um, gratitude and shalom are, are huge. I think um, another sign of um, grace is learning to see ourselves through God's eyes of grace and learning to see other people through God's eyes of grace. Um, it's almost impossible to keep it to yourself. Um, mm-hmm. When you're genuinely experiencing special and favorite, it'll show up and you're contagious. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Well, And you talked about finding that uh, the, the face of grace in scripture, uh, but you also talk about sharing stories of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is that in scripture and meditation and prayer, uh, we're seeking God's heart for us and his face toward us. But then, you know, there is love God and there's love you know, your neighbor as yourself. So the, the two love commands. So what is this idea of stories of grace and how does that cultivate grace among us? Well, I love stories. Stories are one of the big activities in um, groups that I lead. Um, We not only tell stories about our scripture reflections, but I ask people to tell face of grace stories. Mm. Um, And in the beginning, we talk about, um, is there any person anywhere in your life that you can think of that treated you like your special and favorite? So tell us that story. Um, you got about three to five minutes to tell the story so you can't ramble. Um, yeah. It's kind of like, what happened? Um, how did you feel? What emotions did you feel? What did your body feel like? And then what did you do? Um, so, in fact, the book is uh, full of my face of grace stories, like different people throughout my lifetime that really represented special and favorite to me. But one of the things that's really cool to watch in group is – because people think of grace as a theological abstract. Right, right. But when you start putting faces and feet and feelings to what it was like when you were special and favorite, people go, ah, that's what it is. Mm. And there's this mutual sense of we're special and favorite together as we share these stories. So we're not just experiencing it and identifying it, we're sharing it, and we help each other connect with it through our stories. Um, stories, face of grace stories are powerful. Mm. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, tonight, uh, and, you know, this will cause my teenage uh, children to groan, <laughs> but tonight over dinner, you know, maybe I'll do a special and favorite story kind of conversation started where this week have you felt special and favorite either here or amongst your friends or at <laughs> church uh so that'd be a practice that we could do uh with our families with our spouses um how you know if you're if you're going through you know difficulty in marriage or if you're just having a little disconnection or you know things aren't as you know strong or as passionate as maybe they once were, maybe just have that conversation and ask your, your spouse, uh, you know, how have I made you feel special and favorite in the past? You know, and then, you know, then you want to learn, well, how can I keep doing that in the future? Right. So yeah, that'll, that'll, that should transform our relationships, shouldn't it? It will help, but it's important that you follow that outline in telling stories. Mm -hmm. Um, Because (laughs) this is, I don't mean to knock men because I am one, <laughs> but we kind of like to get to the point. It's like, yeah, I felt special and favorite when um, you made dinner for me, the end, <laughs> right? Uh, that doesn't especially grow, um, grow grace. 
It's now what happened and what did I feel in response to it? And then what did my body do in response? Um, For example, did I feel joyful? Did I feel more connected? Did I feel happy? Did I feel delighted? Did my body feel lighter? Did my muscles feel relaxed? Um, Did I feel um, the muscles in my stomach unknot? Um, And then what did I do? Did I say thank you? Did I thank God? Did I go, wow, that was awesome. I got to tell somebody. Was I kind to someone else in response? That template is important because there's a lot of people that have never really experienced what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so you have to ground it as much as possible in not just what happened, but how did you feel and what did your body do? And then what did you do? Wait, so I have to both remember something. Mm-hmm. I have to express how I felt about it. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to identify what happened in my body mm-hmm. and I'm supposed to respond in some way. You can, you my can goodness, tell. that's a lot of work. Well, here's the thing. <clears throat> Being special and favorites worth it. <laughs> ah, amen. Amen to that. That's good. Well, I love those because it does for someone like me, uh, maybe like yourself and, and others, and it's not just men uh, who are disconnected from our feelings or disconnected <laughs> from how our body responds. Those things really do help us kind of reintegrate kind of um, our minds vertically and horizontally. Uh, we use language to tell those stories, which is great, but then also trying to identify where it happens in our bodies, which is also great. So I love those stories of grace. That's fantastic. I love it. Now you have kind of, you've been putting all this in a new book. Um <laughs> And where can I know? I think you're you're making it into a new edition. Is that right? Is this and what is well, the name of your book? And what what pro, where is it at? What's the process? Because people are going to want to find it. I think the book is called Becoming a Face of Grace, mm-hmm. and it, the publisher is working with it right now. We just got the first um, editor's draft and um, made the corrections in and sent it back in. Mm-hmm. It should be available within in, within the next month or two. There are two books that build on that, that will be out later this year or early next year. The next one is called um, Beyond Becoming, a handbook for small groups. It explains how can you create a small group ministry organized around grace and activities that grow grace in ways that are healthy. Um, and how can you empower leaders to turn them loose to express all the creativity God's put in their heart? Mm. The third book is called The Weight of Leadership, um, how codependency and misplaced mercy undermine life and ministry. Mm. And that's really addressed to um, to leaders. Um, and it, it does a really strong contrast between grace-based and fear-based leadership. And it explains why fear will inevitably lead to codependency, the four P's. Mm. Um, and it does a um, gets into a real discussion between ministries that are vision-based versus grace-based. And then talks about specific characteristics of grace-based leaders. Mm. That's great. Well, I, th- I think that last one kind of gets into this question that someone posted um, just about unhealthy relationships that have tried to use this kind of language. And so even like the most helpful language can, can be twisted or abused. Someone asks, um, 
how can you retrain yourself? And we'll just kind of end the episode with this question maybe is how can you retrain yourself when someone else has used that special and favorite language, but it hasn't been good. Um, it hasn't been used in a healthy way. And now people are suspicious. Like they're looking mm-hmm. to work an angle when they use that special and favorite language. So how, how would you respond to someone who hears what you're saying, believes it, but feels suspicious that they're being used or manipulated in some fashion? I think um, the way that you tell the counterfeit from the real is you experience the real. Mm-hmm. Um, narcissists and predators are good at the artificial. Um, so sometimes a real pl- good place to start is just with your own scripture reflection and really interacting with God about being special, why you're special and favorite to him. What does he want to say to you through scripture? I think some of this is also finding people that are safe, that want to grow in grace. Because mm-hmm. the, the book's actually designed for both. Um, in part, if a leader's not grace-based and they're functioning out of the four Ps, they're probably not going to be terribly safe. You really need an environment where people are committed to um, learning to see themselves like God does and learning to see other people like God does. And honestly, part of it comes back to your own attachment style. Mm -hmm. Um, The more secure attachment style you have, the less likely you are to fall for the counterfeit because it doesn't smell right, doesn't touch right, um, doesn't look right. So I think the more um, you can develop your own grace-based attachments, you're going to be better off. Yeah, absolutely. Um, For sure. And that's why this whole podcast is being, it's called being with, because you can't really retrain yourself from abusive or problematic encounters with others by yourself. Uh, You really need a community of authenticity, authenticity of you know not the counterfeit but the original, uh, and so you have to learn how to be with people and see, uh, oh, someone, you know, someone used this you know favorite and special language, uh, and it brought me peace. Oh, mm-hmm. okay, so that's how it's supposed to do. Because when someone else uses that language, mm-hmm. I get anxious, um, yeah. and I I become fearful because I mm-hmm. right, and so you can only you can only do that in community. Well, I'm dropping in the comments a link to our um, Being With podcast community because some people have asked, where can we find these books when they come out? Uh, and my hunch, if you're open to it, is we'll have Ed on again anyways uh, when these, some of these books do come out just to keep talking about these things because it's so powerful. Um, so you want to be sure to join our podcast list so you don't miss any episodes. And when those resources do become available, um, you can be getting them. I am also blogging through some different books and resources. So you'd be getting all those updates too. But Ed, thank you so much for being on. I know we went a little bit long, but I think this has been super helpful linking grace, God's face and the different practices and storytelling. So thank you so much. You're welcome. It was fun being with you. Please uh, follow us, uh, like, and subscribe to the YouTube channel to, you can find us on Spotify iTunes. Uh, Please share this wherever you might find it. And again, this uh, podcast is brought to you by Grassroots Christianity. 
We are seeking to grow the faith of ordinary people. Thank you.